you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series. Just so you know, when I'm doing these PowerPoint things, every time it's just a guess and it keeps coming up. So I just praise the Lord for that. <laughs> just like, is this what, what I pressed? Anyway, all right. Okay. Um, let's just refresh our memory here. And uh, as you're in Colossians chapter 3, I want to read for you verses 5 through 11, keeping in mind that verses 1 through 4 tell us to have our focus on eternal things and our focus on Christ, not on the earthly. So uh, we'll begin again here in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked or lived when you lived in them. But now you must also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. As we consider this, um, the last couple of weeks we've looked at um, destructive anger and the things that come as a result of that and how our selfishness can be displayed in those ways. And and just as a a bigger picture, we've been looking at really a lot of negative things that we're to be putting to death, that we're to be casting off, that we're we're supposed to be getting rid of in our lives if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. Sure, there, there is that general societal thing where we want to do the right thing, but this is different. This is a, a Christian who is new in Jesus, a new person, and because of that, we are to live differently. And so as, as this kind of continued, we, we've really looked at some hard topics, and I've told you a couple of times, confess that these topics aren't always fun to deal with, but... We are moving toward um, the more positive side of this, but we're still with that in that putting off stage. So as we do that, I just want to remind us that um, all of these things that we're talking about, and as we even think about anger, it's it's that um, that inward issue that we have that then becomes an outward problem. Okay, and those are the things that we are to put off. When our frustration levels start to rise, but we wrestle it down or remove it, we have avoided what is really a temptation. To kind of have that rise in us, but to wrestle it down means that we have not succumbed to that temptation of anger. And so I want us to, to, to have some encouragement there and keep that in mind. But when any offense, real or imagined, any desire begins to turn into a jealousy which is kind of what we talked about last week. We can fight the temptation before it takes root and comes out in unhealthy ways. We can avoid the desire to diminish other people, which again was the sins that we talked about last week. Or we can try to make ourselves, uh, or we can um, fight it down when we try to make ourselves equal or superior to someone else. So those are, again, some of the things that we talked about in relation to anger that then turns into other things 
uh, from, from the outward. So how about how we treat people, treat others, when it comes to areas of life that we really have no control over? Now, we just read Colossians chapter 3, and as we saw there in verses 10 to 11, let me just repeat that for you. It says, put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Bavarian, Bavarian, Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, I don't know about those Bavarians anyway, but but there's some other passages that we can look at that that relate to this. Um, let's look at Colossians. Well, we have Colossians chapter three here, but let's look at First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve. Verse 13. I think I have a couple things out of order, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Now, I just want to remind us that baptism there is not a physical baptism, but a spiritual baptism, an identification of the, that the Holy Spirit does for those who are followers of Jesus, placing us into Christ, okay? So that is a spiritual act. And what that does is that does away with these differences, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. And then, oh boy, going the wrong way here. Here we go. And then we have Romans chapter 10, looking at verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who come upon him, call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we see again that distinctions in Christ are eliminated, which is what our topic is going to be today. So the first thing that I want us to see here is as far as as far as our, our equality in Christ, there is no difference because of ethnicity. Now, I thought to myself, I started writing out my, my, uh, my outline, and I used the word in at first, right? There's no difference in ethnicity. There's no difference in, well, no, there are differences. There are differences in people, but there are no differences in Christ because of these things or as a result of these things, okay? Those things are eliminated. So uh, I want to let you know that's why I have because of in there over and over again, and we'll see what we're talking about. But the whole idea here is that God had a plan for the world, right? And we see that in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Often we call this what? The Great Commission. God commissioning us to tell the world about his son, Christ himself, giving these marching orders, so to speak. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see here that, that the gospel, the good news of Christ, was for all peoples. All peoples. So when we talk about ethnicity, 
there is no favored nation status, so to speak, in the church. And we need to understand that. In our context, the issue was Jew versus Gentile. Here the Gentiles are called Greeks. It seems that this was a common term easily understood by the recipients. Paul even called non-Jews Greeks in his letter to the Romans, right? And say, well, Greeks aren't Romans. But it may reflect that the foundation of the Roman Empire was actually the Hellenistic or Greek thinking. And so that's why that term uh, lasted. We often use the term race, but a more accurate term would be ethnicity uh, or people group. We are all one race, a fact that even science agrees with today. But there are many, many people groups. Race, just to use that word again, is one of the biggest and most divisive issues in our society today. We see it all the time. Paul destroyed this issue by his previous comment that we are all a new person after the image of our creator, Jesus Christ. That's what we read. So folks, we need to understand something, that when it comes to our differences, when it comes to ethnicities, all of this is done away with in Jesus Christ. There, there is no difference between us. And particularly when we're talking about the church, this should never, ever, ever be an issue. Now, we're going to make some application a little bit later. I just want to leave you with that right now. But I want to go to our next topic, which is no difference because of a cultural background. Now, if you look in the Colossian passage, you'll see that there's something else before we get to this part. But I think as far as our culture is concerned, race and culture are so um, closely related that I wanted to kind of put these two together. So we'll... we'll Make sure we cover everything. But I'm changing the order just because these are so closely related. Now, what he talks about here is he talks about barbarians and Scythians. Okay, Now, these are not contrasts of two different peoples. This is really a comparison of two different groups. Okay, So in the body of Christ, there are, there are also neither barbarians or Scythians, slave or free, right? We'll get to that slave or free in just a moment. But barbarians, and that's a name that was given... To non-Greek-speaking foreigners, primarily in northern Europe. The name comes from the Greek, barbaros. The word was formed from an insulting saying Greeks used when they couldn't understand a foreigner. And so they used this term, bar, 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 right? Which is equal to our blah, 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 blah. It really is. And it means to babble. So barbarian still holds the same meaning that it did 2,000 years ago. This uncivilized, brutal, or savage people. All right? Now, Scythian, they were thought of as the lowest of the barbarians. And they're particularly known for their brutality and their crudeness. If we were to kind of fast forward this, obviously we're not talking about warring factions, okay? But just if we were to look at people, groups, and culture, it'd be like the people from Ottawa Hills looking down at all of us hicks east of Toledo, right? The rural barbarians. And then there are those Scythians, those really uncivilized people in Curtis. <laughs> so <laughs> I just heard a wow. Is that from one of my brothers? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> just so you know, 
you know, we're, we're joking around about this a little bit, but most of us in this room are descendants of barbarians. All those people groups that we're talking about, right? The, the, the Gauls and the Franks and the, the Visigoths and all those other cool names, uh, that's us uh, for, for the most part. There might even be some Scythian blood among us. Uh, but what's the point? We first need to note that culture and ethnicity often go hand in hand. There are clearly people groups, but Paul is making a cultural comparison, right? Paul's point is that there is no superior culture in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that all cultural values are right. Again, we're talking about in Christ. We're talking about uh, taking on the identity of Jesus Christ. We're talking about identifying with him and, and having a difference in our lives. So culture doesn't determine how we follow Christ, but culture also doesn't determine how we treat one another. We have a unique American culture. For most of our history, different groups assimilated into our culture and enriched it. But there have always been what we call subcultures, or many different lifestyles of different people groups. That's why you see Italian-American clubs, and on and on we can go about that. Uh, people tend to kind of keep that heritage that they have. There should be no differences in the church because we now have a new culture, a new and shared identity in Jesus Christ. Our identity with Christ doesn't erase who we are, but it equals where we are from, so to speak, right? Because we are new. We've been renewed. Our origin is now in Christ and what he has done for us, not in all of those outside things. Even in the U.S., we have different church cultures among Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. And we need to guard even against feeling superior when we compare our church culture to the cultures of other churches. Or, for that matter, feeling inferior. Right? Churches have different cultures even among themselves. Our criteria are Christ and the Bible, not the overall culture and methods. It's really being equal in Christ and understanding that we all come to him in the same way. Now, I waited until we covered culture to more fully address the ethnic and cultural divisions within the church in America. I don't want to speak on this a lot, but I do think that this is part of what Paul is trying to talk about. The church in America is a very divided institution. Um, it is actually one of the most racially, if we can use that term, divided institutions in our country. Some of you know my past was north of Detroit. In the area north of Detroit, there were Baptist churches that were predominantly white, but there, were also Korean, there was also a Korean Baptist church, a Romanian Baptist church, and an Arabic Baptist church, and a Messianic Jewish congregation. There were African-American churches uh, obviously nearby as well. And these are the ones that I knew of. Ethnicity, language, and social traits all are all elements of culture often determine the people that we worship with. In other words, we tend to worship with those we culturally identify with. That's not how God intended his church to be. And so I want to encourage us Notice I didn't say you. 
us as a body of believers to make sure that we are understanding that it doesn't matter someone's ethnicity, someone's cultural background, whatever it might be. That, that, that should not matter to us at all. But we should really choose to invest in one another and be the kind of church that Christ intended. In some places, particularly when you, when you think of, of uh, believers that are in an area where there are not many, and, and it's an international area, it's amazing how we see people from all different walks of life getting together, getting along together, whether it be from Africa, Europe, you know, some Asian countries, you know, North America, South America. There are places where they're all coming together and they're worshiping, and it works because they, they set aside their, their differences, so to speak, and they focus on who they're really all about. They focus on their true identity, which is Christ himself. We're going to move ahead then to the fact that there are no differences because of a religious background. And again, that goes to the uncircumcised and uncircumcised. We can see over and over again that whether to be circumcised or not was a hurdle that the early church had to overcome. Again, we started off as an exclusively Jewish church, really that then turned into a predominantly Gentile church. There were Jews that were scattered all over the place. We know this by history. We know that as the gospel went out, the Jews were offered that invitation, just like the Gentiles. And as they were offered that invitation, some responded in faith. And this church was brought together. And we can't go into all of these details. Paul talks about it in a lot more detail in other books. But the point is this, is, is that... These folks had to get along even among their differences. And so there was even a religious background that created differences. We know that some of this was even related to false teaching, as we saw in the book of Colossians already. But, but there was clearly an issue running through the early church of tensions between Jewish and Gentiles or Greeks. It started after Peter was directed to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, in Acts 11. The apostle the apostles and the church leaders back in Jerusalem were first skeptical, but then praised God for giving eternal life and the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. They got over it. They got past it. But then later in Acts 15, a council was formed and ruled that Gentile believers were not obligated to follow the ceremonial Jewish law. One of the things that was happening was is there were Jewish believers that were pressuring these new Gentile, these new Greeks, and saying, you have to comply with this. You have to comply with our ways, so to speak. And, and so the, the, Jewish, uh, the Jerusalem council got together, made up of apostles and others, and basically said, no, we, there, there is no biblical reason that they are obligated to, in essence, be a Jew and a Christian. The verdict was that Gentiles were free from the law. They were unified in Christ, not in Judaism. Now, again, this is something we've already covered, but there's a benefit to looking at the principle of the subject of religious background. A current buzz phrase is that it's a relationship, not a religion, right, when we talk about our faith in Christ. And, and that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's not a, a bad saying. It is possible to get caught up in some familiar traps. 
some similar traps. Someone may come from a long line of Christians, let's say even Baptist preachers, and feel that they are religiously superior. Others might find superiority in being one of the families that founded this church. Some might feel inferior because of what they see as a lack of Christian experience or knowledge of the Bible, right? What is this? It's, it's comparisons. But none of these make us superior or inferior in the eyes of God. They really don't. So regardless of our religious background, regardless of our, of our even Christian heritage, right, we are equal in Christ. We, we come here and we come before God and, and he sees us all as his children if, in fact, we have, again, placed our faith in Jesus. The next thing I want us to see is there's no difference because of economic status. Paul draws a comparison between the free and the slave. The principle here is economic and either the privileges or limitations related to status or what we sometimes call class, right? Probably the easiest way to uh, compare ourselves, uh, this is probably the easiest way to compare ourselves uh, in the world that we live in today, in our culture. It's easy to compare ourselves to somebody economically, so to speak. Those who are in higher economic strata are likely to be better educated, healthier, and worry less about the basics of life, worry about the, less about the basic needs that we have. Because of this, and I'm going to say we, because the vast majority of us, regardless of how much debt we might be carrying or something like that, really fall into this category. We're more likely to own things, to have more, and our stuff is probably finer than those who have less. Jesus warned the church in Laodicea, Laodicea, and if you remember, the Colossians were told later on in the book to exchange their letter with the Laodicean letter. So in other words, the Colossians are supposed to read the letter to the Laodiceans, and the Laodiceans are supposed to read the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. Now, this is the one that we have kept as Scripture. But the point is this. Paul wrote to both of them, and they were to exchange those letters. Uh, and, and, and so here we are talking about this Laodicean... I'm sorry. So we're referring to this Laodicean church, which really the experiences are parallel, Right? But we have something in the book of Revelation that tells us about the Laodicean church. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, we need to remember that the person that we see, and, and if you have a red letter edition, you know, that little cheat helps you with this. But this is Christ talking directly to this local church, Right? And he says this, And to the angel or messenger of the church of the Laodiceans write, that's in verse 14, these things, these things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I, again, the Lord Jesus Christ, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you. Out of my mouth. Because you say, this is the reason, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and am need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, 
poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and 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 uh, be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he will and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to to sit with me on my on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We don't have time to get into all of this, but you see the theme here. And the theme is, there were a group of people that looked at their lives and they said, we're pretty well off. That means we're pretty well off spiritually. That was the equation. And Jesus said, your equation is off, right? So keep that in the back of our minds as we're talking about the differences that we may have or should not have because of economic status, right? James also addresses this in James chapter 2. So if you'll turn back just a little bit farther back in your New Testament, James chapter 2, I'll read for you verses 1 through 9. Now, again, if you remember, I started this section by saying this is the easiest thing that we can do sometimes as even Christians. And maybe it's a more prevalent thing that we do. And so I want to spend some time here. So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So we're starting off with, with an issue of, uh, of showing partiality to some and obviously not to others. For if there should come unto you into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand here, or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, as God has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who loved him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. Do they not blaspheme the noble name of which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. He who said, do not commit adultery and said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, what is this commit murder here? That's, that's, that's pretty harsh. Basically, it means that you look at someone, you consider them nothing. That's what it's talking about. It's showing that partiality to the point where we don't even consider somebody else um, you know, to be worth anything. So favoritism based upon appearance and wealth is what we're dealing with here. And folks, I've got to be honest with you, I've seen it happen in the church. My experience with this church is, is less, and I'm, I'm not saying it's happened here, but I have seen it happen before. There's one other passage I want us to look at. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, some of you might say, that passage sounds kind of familiar. And it should, because this is where Paul is actually correcting the Corinthian church and setting them straight about what it means to, to properly um, uh, celebrate the Lord's table, to celebrate communion. I'm going to read for you just a portion of that. Verse 17, uh, actually most of it, it says, Now in, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord. And we'll stop right there. All right. So basically, as we're looking at this, what's the issue that we have? It's partiality. The, the reason behind some of the problems that they had in celebrating the Lord's table was, was the, the difference between rich and poor. Now, ultimately, we know that the issue was spiritual. It was a problem. They were corrupting the celebration. That was just to show them by um, the, the example of the, the, the cup and the bread, the, the body of Christ, the bread, and the cup, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. It was just remembering that. But they, they basically tore that memory apart. There, were, there was no semblance of it because of their selfish actions. And it happened to, again, be related to wealth or the lack thereof. So why are we talking about this? What, what is all this about? We can't judge others based upon their income or appearance. Their appearance of status or success. It's easy to do. It's an easy way to, to think of ourselves as superior or it's an easy way for us to stumble into even a false inferiority. But the reality is we are the same in Christ. And that is how we are to treat one another. And then I have added one, which is that there is no difference because of gender. No difference because of gender. Gender is not in the Colossian list. I do know that. But there uh, could be a number of reasons why. The most likely is this simply wasn't an issue that, that uh, Paul felt that he had to deal with with the Colossians. But gender does appear in a similar list of Paul's to the Galatians. So we see here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Sounds familiar, right? There is neither slave nor free. Again, that's talking about economics. It's talking about status. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The topic of gender is dealt with in Galatians as an equality issue, and it is a significant issue in our culture today. So we want to include this in our study. Now, the most obvious things that stands out in Paul's, uh, in Paul's listing is that he lists two genders. Not multiple genders, but two genders. Matthew and Mark record Jesus' words 
We'll read Mark's. But from the beginning of creation, God made, made them male and female. Our society is being turned upside down over the false claim that gender is fluid and made up of, of a societal construct. God not only created two genders, but determined the general societal role of each of those genders. That doesn't mean that we're gonna, not going to have our individuality. That's not what we're talking about here. But this is something that is God-given, God-created. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to go off into the weeds on this topic and get all political and everything else, all right? I'm just not going to. But we do need to establish the fact the fact that God made male and female with a purpose. There's design behind how and why he created us. But in Christ, that does eliminate those differences. And in society back then and in society today, in different parts of the world and even the U.S., we have these differences that sometimes are exploited in the wrong way. So we can be just as firm about the fact that in Christ there is no superiority of either male or female. Instead, we are equal in Christ. If you remember, I used the illustration a number of weeks ago on Father's Day that basically society had factored out the male. Uh, Psychology, sociology had factored out the male influence and basically saw it as 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 long as mom is there, the kids are going to be okay. And what we saw was, no, ideally, you need a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, who are taking care of those children. Now, I understand that there are circumstances that that sometimes, you know, you can't control. And so I'm not not saying that in a critical fashion. I'm just talking about how God made us and how God made things. But one is not superior to the other in Christ. Yes, there are different roles and responsibilities, but one gender is not inferior to the other. Jesus quoted from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image of God refers to the immaterial part of us, our souls. It is clearly stated that God made man. But that is followed up by saying that God created man and woman, and it's clear that it was intended to communicate that he created man and woman in his image. It's also important to note the prominence of women in the life of Christ and in the story of his resurrection. There are, there are stories in the Old Testament that just it, it punctuates the Old Testament with, with specific women that God had uh, in, in different times in history do some amazing things, right? You think of Ruth and Esther and on and we can go. Why was that? Because frankly, the, the order of the day was that women were lesser. Sometimes they were just considered property. And folks, that's the way at least a third of the world is today. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus also reached out to prostitutes. He protected and forgave the woman who was caught in adultery. He had a specific arranged meeting with the woman at the well who was ethnically, socially, right, completely separate from Jewish society. Of course, there are many other accounts. So what we have, what we kind of label a Judeo-Christian ethic, the general approach to life we derive from the Bible, has provided a society that treats women significantly better than many other cultures. And that's great out there. But folks, that has to be exercised in here. All right? Again, different responsibilities, different roles. Those are defined by Scripture. But we need to make sure that we are respectful and loving toward one another as far as men and women are concerned. And make sure that we preserve that in Jesus Christ. You know, it'd be easy in our culture today to actually say that it's the male that gets bashed a lot, right? Um, it's it's kind of like, and I, I know I'm kind of getting off on this a little bit. Just just bear with me a little bit here. It's a little bit of freedom. Whenever you see a revolution takes place, it's not for the betterment of everybody. It's just that another group comes into power, right? You, you just kill off a different group of people. It sounds awful, but that's what happens. And then another group comes into power, and then they have all the wealth, and they have all the say, right? Well, I'm not talking about, you know, killing off all those other kind of things, just an analogy. But when, yes, I think there was a time when, when women were very subordinate in our society, when, when they were looked at as more of just, you know, you're, you're going to help me do my thing, right? Whereas now there's a lot of male bashing going on. We, we've just got to be careful no matter which way we, we might see things going. Again, culture doesn't dictate what our culture is. Culture doesn't dictate how we treat one another in the body of Christ. And I would say that even includes our homes, right? And so our point is this. We're clearly told that male and female are equal in Jesus. And as we pursue that properly, as we pursue that properly, as we see the example of Christ even in his life, we are going to hold one another up in as valuable as those who are in Jesus, as those who are equal. So let's kind of wrap all of this up here. Where, where, where are we going with all this? I, I, folks, I, I know it's warm in here today. Thank you for your patience, but let's, let's get some application going here. First, we need to remember, Paul was a very unique individual. He was an apostle, and he was the leader of the Gentile church. And yet, when we think of his background, he was an Orthodox Jew. He grew up outside of Israel, and he was a Roman citizen. So he was kind of this mutt, so to speak, right? He, he, wasn't, he, he was purely Jewish. He was of the highest ranks, and yet he grew up outside of what we would call the Holy Land. He was uniquely qualified to speak about many of these differences that could potentially be problems in the church. So as we wrap things up, let's remind ourselves that God knows our hearts. Paul was addressing something that he knew could be an issue, that he experienced as an issue, that he maybe even fought with himself a little bit. Now, I have to admit that although I cannot recall actively discriminating against a person, 
I have probably been less outgoing or enthusiastic with someone that I thought was different than me. I'm just being honest. I'll go further to say that it's a pride problem. I struggle against the temptation that I think I'm better than someone else based upon any one of these topics, right? But how about you? Do you struggle to view other ethnic groups and cultures or people of different tax brackets or even different genders as equal? Folks, here's the issue that we have. We all have a life that we have lived. We have biases. We, we have the families that we grew up in and the cultures and subcultures that we grew up in. Um, all different kinds of things. I could give you examples of even my own life. I'll give you one. And it hits a little close to home. When I was growing up, we moved from Oregon to Curtis. I went to Genoa. Um, there was a new thing that, that happened in the schools I went to. There was a group of people that were there for only just a part of the year. The migrant workers. They talked differently. They looked differently. They acted differently. And what I noticed was is that they grouped together, and now this is a little bit of hindsight, to protect themselves. Why? Because those who were year-round were pretty much jerks. They were different. What happens when you're a kid and someone's different? You get picked on. So there were derogatory names that were thrown at them and everything else, and I'll admit, I probably said them too. I, I don't even know if I knew any better. This was a new experience for me. But as I then later on put on Christ and I looked back on that, oh, yeah, I was in second, third, fourth grade, whatever. I mean, I wasn't a believer then, but my point is this. That wasn't something that my parents taught me. That was something that the culture was teaching me. And so what we're talking about here is a change of heart and mind. And all of these things we've been talking about, it's a change of heart and mind. Why? Because we have identified with Jesus Christ. I'm not proud of the fact that I was mean to kids who were different, different than me. It'd be easy for me to point to somebody else and say, well, they, they were more mean. They did it more often. I only followed along. Does that make it any better? No. So again, it's a heart problem. Now, one other thing I want to note is that these things can go both ways. It's not necessarily the predominant ethnic group that is always the one that is judging the other or putting them down. And sometimes someone who has less than somebody else, they make some judgments and they, make, they cast some criticism against someone who maybe has more, right? Now again, some of this is just based upon our experiences, etc. But I want, to, I want to read for us uh, Philippians chapter 2. We were in the book of Philippians a little bit ago, but Philippians chapter 2, I just want to read for you verses 1 through 5. This is our scripture reading for this morning. And I, I, I know my tendency is I read the first part, then I start reading about Christ, and my focus goes to Jesus, and it should. But let's look at the first part again. Therefore, 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, look at what it says, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. And then sometimes you're going to have this, this heading that's stuck in the scriptures. Folks, that's not there. That's not, that's not inspired. So it keeps going to the next verse. These are connected. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You're talking about the humility, the humility that's there, Right? Even more so than we're talking about him laying aside his glory to to become a man, we're talking about the humility that was behind that. And so what Paul is doing in talking to us about Jesus is going back to telling us, just like Christ, you, you, you elevate the other person. You think about their needs. See, it's not just a matter of not doing these things. God expects more. The culture that we have is actually respecting, esteeming the other person and trying to meet their needs. Of course, the battle with our pride takes place in the heart, right? We need to put off any kind of thinking that runs people through a checklist that doesn't matter at all to God. We need to see ourselves as others Uh, and others as God sees us. And these principles need to be lived out beyond the church. I believe that we really have the opportunity, folks, in a difficult world to be an example of being respectful and loving and kind to anyone and everyone, regardless of where they're coming from. Sometimes in our biases, in our experiences, it can be difficult. It can be extremely difficult. But it's the example of Jesus that we're following. There, there was nothing more difficult than what Jesus was called to do. And I know it's easy to, 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 to say that and then to kind of, you know, almost like bash us with that. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in an inspirational way, just like Paul did with the Philippians. That because we've identified with him, because of what he's done for us, he's changed us, he's made us a new person. We can have that same character that he does. In the church, primarily. But also spilling over and showing other people who Jesus is. By not just how we live, that's part of it, but also by what we say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just deal with a difficult topic here, there's a a lot of things that we can uh, use as measuring devices for where we're at and where the other person is and jockeying for position. And Lord, it's, it's just, it's there. It's there. It's ingrained in us. We, we want to come out ahead. We want to be better. We want to, all those other things. We thank you for the example of Jesus. None of those. And, and, boy, lest we forget, 
we're talking about God the Son, the one who left glory, the one who really truly is superior to all. And yet he came and humbled himself and served those who would be his in such a way that it cost him everything. Lord, we probably won't be called to give our life for somebody else. But Lord, may we live our lives for others. And may we have that same attitude that we have identified with Jesus and together we treat one another properly. We look out for the other person. We help meet needs. And we respect them. Lord, we thank you for these important reminders. May we cast off those things that prevent us from doing this. In Jesus' name, amen.